Welcome to the Screen Scene Society podcast, where people who work in the film industry watch a film or limited series and then gather in a Zoom room to talk about it. I'm Sabrina Ferminger. And I'm Christian Sloan. And we welcome you to the Screen Scene Society. All right, so what do you think? Shall we dive in on the intro on the show or shall we talk about our guests first? What do you want to do, Sabrina? <laughs> It's gone off the rails already, because usually you say, Sabrina, who, who is joining us in our Zoom room today? Well, and I mean, I, I say, oh, yeah, <clears throat> sorry. And then I say, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Oh, all right, all right, hold on. We're pros Holy here, cow. okay? Wait, let me just do a heavy sigh first. <sighs> okay, Sabrina, would you love to introduce our guests on Screen Scene Society, our, the newest members of Screen Scene Society. <laughs> I would absolutely love to. Thanks, Christian. Today's very special guests are two astonishingly talented storytellers. Filmmaker Lisa Oviez, whose horror comedy Puppet Killer is still racking up awards and acclaim on the festival circuit, and Maddie Granger, an actor and filmmaker whose work with his brother Mikey impressed none other than Quentin Tarantino. Tino, Quentin Tarantino, and who, relevant to today's episode, wrote a review of The Force Awakens that was shared and discussed and debated hundreds of thousands of times. Christian, what project uh, will we be discussing today? Today, we will be discussing The Mandalorian. Specifically, we're going to be diving into uh, season two, but I really feel like everything's kind of fair game. Uh, we've got a couple super fans here uh, with Lisa and Maddie, so I definitely want to maybe discuss. Oh, I see hot takes coming up already. I, I really do want to maybe dis discuss the fandom in general, uh, maybe dive a little bit into the prequels versus the sequels and aspects like that. But primarily, the framing here is Mandalorian. Uh, the Mandalorian is Disney and Lucasfilm's latest entry into the ongoing Star Wars saga that has ebbed and flowed in popularity for the last 44 years. It spanned an empire that includes films as well as novels, books, toys, video games, and every other possible merchandising opportunity out there. You want a Death Star waffle maker? Yep, it's available. Would you like some Chewbacca Fuzzline Crocs? Absolutely hideous and ready to put into your cart. Gina Carano's Cara Dune action figures? Uh, no, no. Uh, actually, they just pulled the plug on those, and I'm sure we'll be elaborating on that further. Season one of The Mandalorian, Godfathered by Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni, debuted November 12th, 2019 on Disney+. Plus. It's Disney's answer to Netflix, and for the most part, they managed to unite an increasingly toxic fandom that had devolved, at least on the internet, into a very angry and divided mob. Each feature film released by Disney had successively splintered the fandom to the point where even bringing Star Wars up in a casual conversation often wasn't even fun anymore. Then, the Mandalorian rode into town on his trusty steed, the Razorcrest, rescued the child, and brought fandom back in a way many thought might never happen again. Now we have season two of The Mandalorian. Jon Favreau is credited as the creator of the show on every episode and takes the lion's share of the writing credits on each episode with only two episodes the Jedi, and The Believer, not written by him. Dave Filoni, who joined Star Wars back in the aughts with the Clone Wars animated series and subsequently went on to be the creator of Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Resistance, is listed as an executive producer on the show, but clearly seems to be in an almost mentor-like relationship with Jon Favreau. These two have clearly righted a ship that was looking about as bad as the Razor Crest was in Chapter 11, The ARS. An incredible stable of sure hands takes the directors home this season with Bryce Dallas Howard and Rick Famuyiwa, who also wrote his episode, Returning. 
And we also have uh, Robert Rodriguez, Carl Weathers, and Peyton Reed joining the gang. Uh, John Favs also finally takes his turn in the director's chair uh, with the season two premiere, The Marshal. And finally, I personally just want to give a giant shout out to Ludwig Goransson, who, in my opinion, has absolutely stepped up and revolutionized what a Star Wars score can sound like. It's a complete game changer, in my opinion, uh, which brings the sound of Star Wars into the 21st century. All right, Sabrina, where on this sprawling Western Kurosawa-inspired epic, where shall we start? What do you think? Where should we start talking about... Maybe we should give our Lone Wolf five. and Cub in Space. I think what would be really cool uh, for each of us uh, would be to, for, I'd love for each of us to talk about our own personal connection with the show. When it, with the show be, meaning Star Wars in general. When it started for you, what is it that keeps you hooked? Uh, what, what you get from it and kind of the role that it plays in your own storytelling that is very much a choose your own adventure kind of question so feel free to answer what you want who wants to go first and let me and before we dive into i you know we were sort of talking about it before we started recording but i do think that this quote uh, especially in sort of the face of toxic fandom like one of our tenets for the show is we can disagree without being disagreeable you know i think everybody's entitled to an opinion and i'm happy to Defend mine veriferously. I'll defend mine too. Let's, let's go with that. But I, I, know I, I love that we can have opinions about art and dive in and then explain. And it shouldn't have to devolve into, well, you're a fucking asshole. Oh, by the way, we can swear on this podcast. Yay. Well, good. Well, Frida, I was like, that's a fucking bullshit right there. We can, we can be dropping that. Um, but I definitely think why, why, especially with art, we should be able to talk about it and discuss and have different opinions and still walk away friends. Uh, the other comment I really like is, uh, you're allowed to know a thing without knowing every single fact about it. You're allowed to like a movie without knowing every actor's name, a book without memorizing every page, and a video game without knowing all the Easter eggs. Liking things is not supposed to be stressful. And I, I really feel like that sort of applies here. You know, we're all gonna be, we're gonna be talking about our fandom and where we lie. Um, you know, some people are going to be more obsessed and know every single detail. Some people are going to just be like, oh, you know, I found that entertaining. And I think, you know, that's really where we need to exist. I think it's, and we need to welcome the fact that maybe some people haven't watched the Clone Wars. Some people haven't seen this and that's okay too, man. Like people are allowed to like things. It shouldn't be like, oh God, I just got to crush all of Star Wars resistance. So I get all the details. I don't, I just don't think that's where fandom necessarily has to live. So that being said, uh, Lisa, what do you think? You want to dive in? I know that you have some hot takes and uh, <clears throat> varied opinions uh, about uh, the state of Star Wars. Uh, do you want to dive in and give us a little bit of your beginning and where you're at now? Uh, sure. Uh, and thanks. I really appreciated that. Um, I don't know when Star Wars started for me specifically. I just remember it always being a part of my life and my older brother having the original Millennium Falcon, which as a 41-year-old woman is hanging in my living room. So clearly I've grown out of that space and I have it for my brother. So fuck you, Al, it's mine now. Um, <laughs> walking away. Um, but yeah, I, I just remember loving it. I don't, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where it started. I didn't really come from a, a family of film nuts, but uh, then just as a filmmaker or as a person growing into wanting to make film, I, I became more and more involved. But it was actually a Christmas when I was about 17 years old that my mother bought me a trilogy of the, of the EU. 
fucking, I don't know what it was. Oh, I think it was like the Han Solo trilogy or backstory or whatever. And I was like, look, I'm not that much of a loser. I don't read books about Star Wars. Smash cut to 200 plus books later mm-hmm. and being obsessed with the new Jedi Order. And I just, that's, that was it. That was the moment where it took it from something that I just loved and was inspired as a film uh, and a universe to something borderline obsessive. First of all, it's, it's, it was like nothing you'd ever seen before because, you know, you're a kid, you've seen some cartoons on a little screen this big, and now you're in a theater overwhelmed by this enormous screen and sound hitting you, and the first thing you see is this giant spaceship, and it was just mind-boggling. And it was like, and that was the moment that I can, I can safely say that that's why I started uh, my interest in movies in the first place. Um, so there was that, and it was, it was the same thing for uh, when Empire came out. I remember when Empire came out, it was magazines. That's what you're seeing. That's where you, I first saw Yoda, it was in a magazine. Um, and pictures of the, of the crew together, and you're like, holy shit. And then that whole feeling of just despair and hopelessness when they froze Han Solo and he got taken away by Boba Fett, and you were like, oh no, I've got to wait four years to find out what the hell happened to Han Solo. And then just, and it just became such a part of, life you know you had the toys and the toys weren't you you didn't use them to um like just play with them like you were recreating the movie in a lot of cases or you're making new adventures for the characters while you were waiting for the characters to come back um so that was that that was the next part of it for me was that um and i never stopped collecting toys i honestly got i i had a collection out and up and set up in my house um she was, I remember it in the 90s. I had it all in the 90s in my, in my bedroom, a Millennium Falcon and the Death Star. I had about 100 Stormtroopers at the time, and I still have them all. They're, they're in a box. Um, so that was really that. Then the, then, the, then the prequels came out, and I obsessively loved The Phantom Menace. I loved The Phantom Menace because I was so caught up in the hype of it all. Or first, it wasn't even that first. It was when they did the, the re- the re-up versions, the nice, the special editions came the out. The 97 version. Yeah, yeah. Those ones. and when those came out, um, that was your back to standing in a line in front of a movie theater again. And when do you do that? Like you never do that. And there we were standing in line for Star Wars movies again and camping out and getting there early for tickets and all that stuff. Same thing happened with Phantom Menace. And it was, we were all out freaking out. Like, and on, on and you had to see opening day. That was the other thing. You had to go to opening day. But I remember in the 90s, I was reading, or like the early 90s, I was reading the Thrawn trilogy. Um, I remember I was living in California at the time and I went and I bought, the, and I didn't have a television. So I, was, I would go to, I would go to bookstores and read books in the, in the bookstore. And I was uh, obsessed with the Thrawn books. I thought they were so great. Um, and then the comic and everything. So I just, it's never gone away from me. It's always been there. Um, I have a love-hate with a lot of it now. I have a love-hate with the prequels um, because there's just some day you want to you watch Revenge of the Sith. Like, there's just the day we got to watch it. You know, like, I'm going to watch it today. Um, bit of a love-hate with them, but I've learned to love them a lot more in the, in the, during uh, the sequel trilogies because my love-hate skewed hate around, this, around the sequel trilogies by the end of it. Um, I, 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 I think they were approached really oddly. I could just, I'll just leave it at that. But, um, but again, it's like, there's those days, like the other night I had to watch solo. I don't know why I can't stand a frame of it, 
but I. <laughs> wow, that's I impressive. It. I had to watch it. Just had to, whether I like it or not. I still watch it. It's it's a weird thing. It's like there's movies that are arguably horrible movies that, for some reason, just for some reason, you have to watch them. Like there, it's just it's just a thing. Um, and and that's and so even Star Wars movies I don't like I'll, I'll continue to watch just because I I want to like them if that makes sense like another movie that I really can't stand is Dark Knight uh, like uh, which one the 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 Heath Ledger Heath, Heath Ledger Joker one where Heath Ledger just blows the whole movie away like he's the only reason to watch it but I hate it I I, I think it's a, I think it's a really badly written movie I I'll, I can go into that in a different podcast when we talk about superheroes <laughs> but yeah it's like it's like one of the most poorly written movies I've ever had the unfortunate event to see, but I watch it constantly because I want to <laughs> like it. I want to like it so bad. I've probably seen it 20 times. And like the same thing with, um, there's just a lot of movies like that. And the Star Wars sequels and Solo, and I will give Rogue One the, the thumbs up though. That thing is great. <laughs> but yeah, so anyways, that's my, that's my sort of Star Wars fandom. Sabrina, what about you? What do you want to, can you give us a breakdown? Because I know I've, I've been in your studio. I've, <laughs> I saw the friggin' Lego Ewok village. Um, my, my, my jaw was on the floor with that yeah. thing. So, I mean, a lot, a lot of where I come from has already been stated. I recognize a lot of myself in both Lisa and Maddie's stories. I mean, I don't remember a time when I haven't loved it. Um, and unequivocally and when it wasn't part of my of my identity uh i did not have a lot of the toys growing up i mean i remember being uh, at my grandparents farm and then like fashioning my own lightsaber and then fashion fash for myself and then making like a less good one for my sister and then like we would fight um i think though uh what inspired me and what continues to inspire me are some of the characters, specifically uh, that of Princess Leia. You know, because, you know, you look at the kind of stuff that the kind of women that we get to see on screen now, kicking ass, and honestly, even in The Mandalorian, you know, that we get to see, you know, kicking ass and telling people what to do and being trusted and being respected. Um, there weren't a lot of women like that, you know, especially growing up in the, in the eighties, you know, there was like, I can think of, okay, yeah, there was Ripley and there was Sarah Connor, but for me it was, it was Leia, you know, and, and the role that she played. So, you know, as I've grown up, she's been the, I guess I'm grown up now. I mean, I'm 41. That counts as grown up, but I still, I don't feel, considering the amount of money that I have spent on getting all of the Star Wars toys that I never had when I was a kid, I don't think I'm an actual grown up. You know, but for, like, she's the, she's the icon and, you know, has given, given strength, you know, when I've needed to picture, you know, who do I want to be like in this situation where I'm surrounded by men? And like, she was this tiny little human being too, you know? So I think that, that, you know, all of the stuff that you guys have said, but, you know, specifically that, I mean, my God, I'm even wearing around my shirt today. You know, when I, at the women's March, I had, I had uh, Princess Leia on my, on my, my protest sign, you know, because of what she represented, because of the stoicism, you know, because of, you know, she, she could kick ass better than her brother 
you know, and imagine if she'd had the training, you know, like what she'd have been able to do and also her hot, hot love with Han Solo, you know, so yeah. (laughs) And that less hot, but still hot love with her brother. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and so, you know, I still, she's, she's one that I, that I hold on to for sure. Leia was, Leia was an amazing character because she, the first time you see her, She's giving Darth Vader shit. Yeah. Like the first thing she does on screen is take it to Darth Vader. And then the first thing she says when you see, she sees Han Solo for the first time, who is like the coolest dude in the world, like the entire galaxy maybe. Yeah. The first thing she's doing is giving him shit. Yeah. It's great. It's great. She's amazing. It's a lot of insight into, now that I think about it, into my relationships with men. I guess I have used her as a, <laughs> as a guiding light in that too. Yeah, she's the best. What about you, Christian? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's woven into the very fabric of my soul and who I am in terms of, uh, you know, like I would have been four when I first saw it. I saw it in 78. Rolling movies out in the 70s was a different thing. So there was no VHS. There was none of those things. So a movie would play in a theater for like a year and a half, two years. And so I saw it in 78. It was the second movie I saw after Superman. I was like four years old. And uh, just instantly obsessed and like got the X-Wing for Christmas in 78, got the snow speeder. Oh, gosh, that must have been like 81. But I got, remember I got the Millennium Falcon in like 79. It was like the oh. best Christmas ever. Like I, w- I still have, I also still have my uh, 79 Millennium Falcon and it was in some tatters. I also picked up the re-release uh, that uh, they put out a few years back that's like two and a half feet long. It's ridiculous. It doesn't fit in my house anywhere. The, but, the, uh, le- the, leg- the legend one? The, the legend uh, yeah, one. not they, they just repackaged it and they're charging like 500 bucks for it. It's the yeah. one that bad too, but it's basically, it's just a repaint on the legend. Yeah, let me nerd out and say that is a gorgeous toy. I got um, one on a first date with a gentleman who brought me back to his house uh, saying that he had a Millennium Falcon that we could play with, and it was not a lie. We played with it. It lit up. <laughs> I was like, this is fine. <laughs> This is fine in my life. So let's just for the, let the record show, though, that that is a line that actually works on a first date. For me. Yeah. I don't think a lot of women are like, I'm sorry, you have a massive Millennium Falcon at your house. But, I mean, whose Falcon is bigger? And he won. So. <laughs> I'm going to let uh, that Anyway, lie. jumping off that, let me talk a little more about my childhood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no but i mean like yeah honestly like i won't i won't dive in too much because I, I do feel like i have a similar story like with maddie and stuff but you know it was uh it was always a trade-off with the neighborhood kids who weren't the sci-fi nerds that i was so that one day we'd play like lacrosse or soccer or whatever and then one day we'd play star wars and you know it was a real touchstone and a kicking off point for so much of my love of like sci-fi slash fantasy uh you know my tree house was the millennium falcon uh my neighbor kid had a couple trees that like we would were our x-wings and we just like lived in that neighborhood of just running around and the imagination that it sparked you know like the storytelling and the, the jump off points that it made me go as a child to play let's pretend and you know and honestly it's really where i fell in love with acting because I, the moment I saw Luke Skywalker up there, I was like, how do I do that? I want to do that. Mm. You know, I mean, I remember telling my mom, uh, I was like, I want to change my name to Luke Skywalker when I get older. You know, my mom being like, uh-huh, sure, uh-huh, yeah, no problems. 
It's like my kid. My kid loves Ninjago right now. And he's like, I'm going to change my name to Lloyd the Green Ninja. I'm like, totally, man. When I, when I was talking about outing you, I remember I seeing a Facebook post because I pestered you and pestered you. said, you got to watch Mandalorian. You got to see it. Just just do it. And you're like, no, I don't really fucking want to. I'm like, come on, for me, do it. We want to do it with you on a podcast. Love to hear your hot takes. Let's get you doing it. Um, and I remember about halfway through your viewing, you went on Facebook and you're like, I've been watching the Mandalorian. Eh, first response, meh. You were kind of like, I don't know. Eh, some of it works. I don't know. So I, I'm very curious to know now that you've, you've, you've had a chance to digest season two, and, and I'd love to hear where your thoughts are at at season one. What is your overall take now on The Mandalorian? Where does it sit for you? I don't think you're wrong uh, in that it did tie in a lot of things. For, and I think, you know, with Dave and John taking the helm, they were the right people to do it. I think, number one, it was written by real fans. Not fans of the feeling, not fans of the merchandise, not fans of the money, Star Wars fans. Um, and you're not wrong, I have strong feelings. Um, my feelings do also come from a place of being in a very abusive relationship with Star Wars. I've likened this like my entire life. You know, I fucking camped outside. Welcome kids to buying your preview tickets online. Like I sat outside the theater in the rain waiting for the first time I got to sit in and see a new Star Wars in a theater. I didn't see them as a kid in the theater. Um, and so I was like sick with anticipation and the expectation was almost very unfair. Like there was very little they could do and then they did that. So it was like, oh wow, that didn't work out great for me. Um, and then I was like, but it's gonna get better, right? So I went back and I got punched in the face so hard but I was like, it's fine. They learned. It's going to be sweet this time. Are you so, speaking about, are you speaking of one, two uh, and three? Okay, cool. So I just sort of pieced out a little bit and then yes, they transitioned into a place where it just doesn't align with the things that I loved, but it's cool. Like I, you want to like Star Wars. It's fucking great. It's just maybe not my jam. Um, and so, yeah, I fought you on the Mandalorian pretty hard because I just didn't care. Not because I care. Oh, sorry, dog. People showing up at my house. <laughs> That's what my dog thinks of the Mandalorian. Hi. Um, it's not that I care that people liked it. I love that people liked it. And like, I'm obsessed with, you know, Boba. You can see that massive Boba Fett behind me. It is so big that I carried it home from New York on my lap on a plane because there was no one going to be touching that in checked luggage. Um, and I was fine with it. I was like, this is my life. And I was probably 35 at the time. Um, and I've always really loved the, the Mandalorian lore. Um, you know, part of my problem, want to get nerdy, is that Boba Fett commissioned Slave One at the Kuwait drive yards. Jenga Fett did not. That was a moment where I fell apart a little bit in watching the prequels because the world that had been created, the world that I had fallen in love with, just got slapped in the face. And for me, I was like, it's good enough. The world that was built was good enough. There's enough out there. We don't need to rewrite it. We could make new fans fall in love and honor old fans. So yeah, I went on a tear there. Sorry. No, no, so great. with The Mandalorian, I just didn't care. I loved that people enjoyed it, but I was so very much into the lore of, of Boba Fett. And so yes, you fucking bugged me. And you bugged me. And finally That's you were like, like, look, at least, <laughs> at least you'll have a take. And I'd love to hear from, you played all the cards I needed to hear. I'd love to hear from an educated woman who loves Star Wars. And I was like, mm -hmm, well done. So yeah, I went in the first bit. I was probably being a little judgy and I just wasn't blown away, you know? And I have to be honest, I wasn't being fair to it. 
And it was actually after I watched the entire episode, uh, season of the gallery, that I, I could give permission to John and Dave for loving it the right way. And I was like, no, these guys did it right. You know, their Easter eggs are absolutely brilliant. Um, I didn't even get the Wilrow Hood fucking ice maker the first time. And then I was like, yes, King, like I have been at celebration. I am that loser, you know? And when I felt like my people had made this film or movie part or uh, series part of me, I actually went back and rewatched all of episode one with like a kinder soul. And I got quite into it. Um, and then, you know, by the end we were chatting and I just wasn't able to give it enough time to get to this, this, the, the finale and no one did ruin it. I think I watched it four or five days ago. Um, so I still didn't like seek out it enough that it defined my life. There are some things where I will stay up all night in order to finish them. This one didn't do that, but I loved it. I loved, I loved, yeah, I loved how much they loved it. I loved how much they honored it. I loved, yeah. So I did, I did get into it way more than I expected. So you weren't wrong. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Maddie, how about you, man? Like coming from your level of fandom, would you say like, where I'm curious, where were you at with the sequel trilogy and then coming to Mandalorian? Like, I want, like, you know, I know you're like, I say you're a super fan. Where did you sit with the, 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 the original Disney reboot action? At the beginning, I thought it was great. Um, I really, really, I, I, I had a lot of hope for, um, <laughs> for it at the beginning. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of hope because of, uh, I saw a lot of directions where you could go in that first movie. JJ, I think JJ set the table. He put all the he put all the playing pieces on the board and said, "Go play," to to the rest of the directors. And the truth is, is I think JJ came back at the end because the second guy came in and ruined it. He ruined what he was. Oh, oh. Um, and I, but I think all the pieces were there, um, and that's why I was like, "Give the give." I gave it such a break. I was like. And, and that's what that article I ended up writing was about someone, some guy from the Huffington Post did a, a thing about um, uh, like plot holes. And I'm like, they're not plot holes. They're open-ended things that are being left for the next movie to, to answer the questions for you. Um, so I, I, had a lot of, I had a lot of hope at the beginning. I really did. And then, uh, then when the next one came out, all my hope was flushed away and, and it just all went out the window and it was really, I don't know. Um, so that was so coming off of that, I I went into watching. I got into Clone Wars and Rebels at that. But that's when I got into Clone Wars and Rebels to see what that was all going to be about. Um, and I really and like you were saying, it, it enhanced the prequels so much by by doing that. So going into Mandalorian, I was I was hopeful. I'll put that was say I was hopeful. Um, the same way I was hopeful about uh, about like like Rogue One. I felt I felt like that's that kind of thing. I go, okay, this doesn't look, this doesn't look horrifying when I when I first saw it. Um, my initial takeaway from it was it felt very small. Um, uh, when I when I think Star Wars, I think of big, open, giant, enormous stuff. And this is where this is what they did wrong. I, I felt that they did wrong in pretty much every Star Wars movie since Return of the Jedi. They started shooting on on a lot more green screens, a lot more stages. They got scared of people finding out their story, so they limited the amount of extras. So your 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 once enormous galaxy suddenly felt this big. 
And that's what the problems with the, with the prequels were. I feel that those are the problems with the sequels as well. Like, cause if you look at the Starkiller base when they're walking around in there, it's the same hallway, just a different place. Like it's, they, they re, they reuse that hallway in about four different ways. It's kind of like, what? what? This is the hallway from, you were just in like over there. But, and so when I saw Mandalorian, I felt that it felt very small too. It was very closed off. Um, I, I don't want to say it was intimate. I just think it was clearly shot on that volume stage that they use. It was, you could tell where, you could tell that it was shot on something like that. Um, but you know what, I, in, it couldn't get its hooks in me. And that's, that's, and I don't know why, but it, it, I, I, it, again, but I kept watching it every week. Just, <laughs> just, just give me something here. But yeah, and I, so it never got, it never, I never fell in love with it the way a lot of people have. Um, there's, there's things in it that I thought were outright kind of, kind of silly. Um, like just, just little things like, so I don't know. So I'm, I'm one of, I'm sort of a, hmm, I'll watch it. But I'm kind of like, hmm, what do I, how do I feel? Do I hate Cara Dune? Yeah, kind of hate Cara Dune. <laughs> how did, I mean, how did, uh, did, cause season two definitely took it from a less standalone episode uh, thing and started to really yeah. tie it into a grander story. I mean, do you feel do, was season two an improvement for you over season one? I think so because it felt like it was starting to go somewhere. Like I, just having you know, now he's on this spaceship with the kid. Now he's on this spaceship, and now he's on this planet. And he's just it just it was so episodic that it was just kind of like, why am I watching this? Where's it going? Like I, I and I never understood where it was going. And then when it came to its abrupt halt at the end of season two, I was kind of like, oh, so now what like <laughs> i got the i got the now what at the end because it's just like luke skywalker shows up can't beat that see ya and that would have been that like it's i don't know where to go i i do know where i i actually think you're never going to see another season of the mandalorian to tell you the truth i think you're going to see now you'll see the ahsoka tano show you'll see uh maybe uh they're going to do the obi-wan series like i think it's going to that boba fett thing i i just don't think we're going to see mandalorian again. i think it's over i I agree with that. And I mean, I don't know whether they're going to do another series or not, but like, fuck, I don't know what everyone else thought. Sorry to jump in. But when I saw Slave One, given my love of Boba Fett, instead of being like, yeah, I remember being alone and going, are you fucking kidding me? That's what I did too. Yeah, Why same. the fuck is Boba Fett here? Oh, because he's getting his own show. Yeah. Cool. Right. I mean, like I was down with pudgy Boba Fett in the set vent so that you were like, can the Sarlacc pit took some shit out of him. He's been through some crap. He doesn't quite fit his armor anymore. I liked the humanity of it. But other than that, I was like, why in all the galaxies, in all the world, did Boba Fett just show up here? And I was like. And why didn't he spend five years killing the hell out of Tim of the Elephant and getting his clothes back? Right? <laughs> like, it was a fake, a fake Mandalorian. And even too, when like the ship, um, sorry, I've literally not spent a lot of time on the Mandalorian. So whatever Mando's ship is, with like that casual moment where he looks over and there's his armor. And I was like, mm, well, that's convenient. <laughs> just, okay, cool, cool, cool. If they would have left it at, it's Timothy Oliphant's his name, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know, but I yeah. guess. Yeah, if they would have just, yeah, just left it at him with the armor, I would have been great with that. It made sense to me. It's like, yeah, it was salvaged. The Jawas probably yeah. got it. He barely yeah. made it out of the Sarlacc pit and the books, it was different, obviously. But like, yeah, I was down with that. The awkward way of wearing it and taking ownership for it. I was like, I'm here for it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah when, 
when Slave sh- One showed up, I was like, mm, cool. Now I have a que- I have a question because other than the animated series, I mean, this is the first true live action television show. I know it's on a streamer, but whatever. It's a television show. Um, and I think that that is what one of the reasons that things were very small, right. small scale and stuff. Uh, but h- how do we feel? How do we feel about, about taking, you know, watching Star Wars, a Star Wars story in this kind of way, as opposed to, you know, on the big screen in the theater, you know, for that event movie. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I see Christian's got his, <laughs> he's wielding his weapon. I will say, I definitely think, um, like, like I hear, I hear what you guys, what are you saying? But like, I think to Maddie's point, I actually think <clears throat> that starting small was one of the best things that could have happened for Star Wars. Because when we sort of look at the original A New Hope, it starts small and then holy shit, it opens up to this grandiose thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like, with every feature film and because we live in the age of spectacle, like everything can be rendered, everything can be put in the machine and made to happen. And now we live with Avengers Endgame, and it's like, look at all these motherfuckers on the screen. Holy shit. Now fight. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like the equivalent of like taking your finger, fingers and just going, ha 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 ha. Give them a bag and shake them up. Yeah. And I, and I honestly think like, you know, I mean, I definitely was reticent. I was like Star Wars show. Like, ah, I don't know. But I actually think by wiping the slate clean, by letting them start fresh and small, it's actually beneficial for the show because every time we go to the movies now, we're like, you better fucking blow me away. Show me some shit I've never seen. Let me, it's gotta be the big sweep and grandiose. And I think, I think so much people are trapped by that now because like i think rise of skywalker was such a victim of that because you're suddenly trapped by by having to like blow the audience away it's got to you got to be swept away and i remember initially watching the mandalorian and being like wow this does feel small and mm. slow paced and a little bit uh you know what i mean laconical like it's just kind of like taking its sweet ass time but you know and initially you're like well give me more give me more we've been fed this steady diet of the Skywalker saga and reaching across the universe and changing the game and world ending things. And so, you know, my, it took my brain a little bit to adjust to like, no, he's just going to rescue this kid and he's got to try and keep the kid out of the remnants of the empire. And, you know, it's a small personal journey, but as I went on through for the first season and then definitely into the second, I actually thought it was a huge benefit to the star Wars uh, brand uh, whatever you want to call it, because finally we were sort of back into these smaller intimate moments. And my favorite, some of my favorite moments that happen um, into the Mandalorian are these little father son moments. Uh, you know, now I'm a dad of a five year old. And so now watching like when Mando's uh, trying to fix the ship um, and he's got little baby Yoda, he's like the red wire, put the red wire in, <laughs> but the blue wire goes and the kid's like, huh? he's like, don't touch them together. You know, like that, like is a relatable human moment. Um, I want to address Boba Fett because we haven't really talked about him too much. At first I was like, fuck off. He's dead. He's in the Sarlacc. Leave him dead. Just leave him dead. And then the second he started doing stuff and he was new Boba Fett, I was like, Oh shit, this is fucking cool. And I loved the idea of bringing him back. I thought it was a really, I, at first I was like, huh? And then eventually once I saw him beating guys up with a stick, and he's wearing his long robe and he's not, Boba, he's not dressed like Boba Fett, but he's Boba Fett. 
was awesome because Boba Fett is arguably the worst executed character in the entire in the entire Star Wars it's, universe. It's funny, Maddie, because I was inarguably, actually, I would say. Yeah. I was I was reading. <laughs> I read your I reread your uh, your uh, post again last night. I was uh, I think I remember read, I read it back in 2017 and right. it forwarded to me. And I literally one of the questions I wrote down was like. Matt, I saw your disparagement of Boba Fett in your viral comment. Where, do you, where are you feeling now? So this is awesome. Yeah. This is at some point. They, they finally did something with him. Like in that article, I call him a, a galactic FedEx guy because that's really all he does. And then he gets killed by a blind guy who's yelling his name. Like yeah. he's, he's a blind guy goes, Boba Fett? Boba Fett? Doink. And turns around. Where? Yeah. yeah. He's dead. Um, so I thought that to, to have him show up and finally see what the man is capable of, man was vicious. And he was cutthroat, vicious, brutal, and he's totally lying. If he's got any sort of honor at all, there's a much bigger story for him that he is. But he's, but he's, but he's got a code. He's got a code. It's mm. just a very dark and like oh, fragile it is. It is. code. Yeah, it ain't anybody else's code. It's his code. Maybe he shares it with like Dengar. But, you know, <laughs> to me, I was like, I was like, shit, he was a badass. My only complaint was when he repainted the costume because when I saw him with like uh, the chubby foot with, with the robe underneath it and that busted up thing, that was always the cool part to, about Boba Fett for me was you'd see that costume and that fucking mangled armor that he wore and you were like, this guy's seen some shit. This guy's been through some stuff yeah. and gonna go through more stuff. And that's when, I, when they had that, when his costume was just destroyed, I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like he's even worse than he was before. And like, so when it, my one complaint was him painting the armor back to look fresh and new and all that stuff. I, f I feel like the man needs a glow up. He's got, he's got global <laughs> domination plans. He's, he's taking over that new mean. He's stepping, he's stepping it up. He's got to, he's got to look, he's got to look the part for the job, I guess. That's so. right, yeah. He's got it. Cause, cause, cause Big Fortuna ain't looking too good. <laughs> I love, I love that moment. Again, I, you know, we, we were talking, sorry, Lisa, but we were talking about fan service and I feel like this show is incredibly smart because I, I feel like fan service is so much like, you know, look at this, look at that. Remember this, remember that ATSTs. I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched red letter media. I just want to, oh, yeah, yeah. I want to give a big shout out to red letter media. Yeah, because they, they do an incredible uh, breakdown of all the sort of flaws in the prequels. And it's a rabbit hole you can go way, way down. And Rich Evans is this crazy nut who's just like, ATSTs, ATSTs. This is memeable moment. And I mean, I, I, I just feel like if they bring something back, it means something in the show. Mm -hmm. And they weave it into the fabric rather than being like, look at this. Right. Look at yeah. this. You know? And that would be my one disagreement um, with, the whole Boba Fett coming back thing. Cause I don't disagree with Maddie. I think seeing him be so badass and seeing him be like taken his, uh, I think he might be Maori or uh, whatever his heritage is. And like, uh, I was reading about how he applied that to the way that he fought and just making him such a human character who's put on the weight and has the scars. Like I'm here for all of that. Um, I just don't think it needed to be part of the Mandalorian story. You know, I think it showed up to serve the next series that he was in. And that to me was where it didn't serve me. I, I, I don't, I don't disagree that he could be an awesome, he has an awesome character. I know that you don't love him, but I read the books, fucker live. Um, <laughs> and there was a lot more going on. What was that um, called? Twin Engines of Destruction? Is that what that was? Sorry? Was that called Twin Engines of Destruction when he... That there was one. the Bounty Hunter trilogies, I yeah. believe. Um, again, I haven't... You're hung out with Proto Pass, right? I didn't hear you again. I was talking over you. 
Oh, sorry, he was hanging out with Jodo Cast, right? I don't remember. I, honestly, I read those books probably 20 years ago. Um, I nerded. <laughs> uh, but I'm here for it. But yeah, no, I, I just think I just think that was one of the only times in this series where I really felt um, a franchise moment uh, show up and set, you know, like like you said, why didn't he just show up and take the armor from that guy that was right? Yeah, you know, it just it didn't it didn't really ring true to me. Um, that was it. That was it. I was like, but I think I think the point that Christian was making about the uh, the fan service though, it's the way it's done is different. Um, like there's a moment in uh, Force Awakens which just made me want to just just jump up to the movie screen and rip it in half and throw it on the floor so we didn't have to watch anymore. It's when Finn is like looking for something in a bag and pulls out the thing and mugs the camera over the 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 the, the, the globy shooty thing from that Luke Skywalker was training the training pro and he's just like uh, 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 uh. see it. That's that's the way they did it. That's that's the, that's the, that's the way that they eased in all the stuff. So I don't disagree. And like I said, I think Dave and John did a really, really, really good job. And I think that they loved it, and they were educated, and they had so many deep cuts. Mm -hmm. um, like I just reviewed some of their other, like the fact that the boom op in the Mandalorian is wearing hot pink pants, and that never yeah. lands anywhere, that. and they don't talk about it. It's just like a fucking day in the life. And I was like. <laughs> okay, I, I feel honored for the dorky shit, you know. I do think that nine times out of ten, they did not shove anything down anyone's throat, and they just took the shit they loved and, and put it on screen. I loved, I loved their representation, too, of the Tusken Raiders. Yes. That, felt, that felt like, yes. a, like if you're going to do fan service, and, you know, there's not that many franchises that we can talk about fan service like this, you know, that have gone on for decades and decades and decades. You know, there are characters from DC and, and the MCU, but Star Wars is, it's, it's such a specific, mm. such a, a specific animal, you know? So you, and you want to, you want to honor, you know, the fans that have watched for a long time and, and also appeal to new fans. But the thing with fans like us is that a lot of us, we started watching when we were kids, you know? So it's like, do you honor where the fans were? Do you honor fan where the fans are now? How do we do that? Okay, we're just going to throw Luke Skywalker in. But I, I thought, you know, as somebody who is now older than four years old, when I first started getting into this, um, I so much more appreciated uh, seeing more about what Jawas are like and, and, and what the Tuscan, like that whole episode where they are exploding the dragon and they're working with the Tuscan Raiders. Like that, I, I was almost crying during that episode. I'm like, this is the coolest shit. You know, this is this is taking something from a film that I watched when I was little, you know, and we're, we're seeing it from a, from a different, point of view we're learning more so it doesn't just feel like we're hitting somebody over the head and being like look it's a tuscan raider it's like no let's take you further into this world christian you're wielding your weapon what's well, I, I you're exactly right sabrina like one of my favorite things about this is when we first watched the star wars movies everything was very black and white here's the good side here's the bad side and one of the things i think that you know uh, this is another question i sort of wanted to pose to you guys as well like is the future of star wars on tv streaming versus films because what they do in this you know for better for worse love it or hate it there's so much more nuance there's so much more things that we can dive into uh, as i mentioned before we live in spectacle and now uh we live in a spectacle world if i want my if i'm gonna spend 20 bucks at the theater you better blow me away give me the fucking thrill ride 
and where this the TV show is like, no, let's take a harder look. Like the Tuscan Raiders, like the, you know, everybody talks about the end of Mandalorian too. But John Favreau directed episode one or chapter uh, nine of uh, season, you know, first episode of season two, chapter nine, um, at the Marshall. And John Favreau absolutely knocks this one out of the fucking park. And what people maybe I don't really necessarily hear talking about, he wrote, John Favreau wrote every single episode except for two. So this really is his baby. You know, he's really like sort of shepherded it in a way that is like expanded the lore. And, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I feel like you can draw allusions to indigenous peoples with the Tuscan Raiders, you know, the Tuscan Raiders were to be feared and that's it in star Wars and a new hope star Wars here. We see that they have a society, they're nuanced. They've lived hard lives on the desert, figured out ways to survive um, like a simple life or basic, you know what I mean? And, and, and so I don't think in a feature film we could ever see that. And so when we see the Mandalorian bridging uh, the cultures between uh, uh, Cobb Vanth, the, the Marshall's culture versus the, the Tuscan Raiders sand people culture and helping them forge together, you know, it's a smaller story. I don't know that I would want to pay 20 bucks to watch that story, but instead it's this smaller story incredibly told. And there's also a moment I, I like, I, 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 I have a huge love for Favreau. I don't think everything he's done has been, uh, you know, the guy swings for, for the fences. Iron Man's a phenomenal film. Iron Man two. Whoopsie. Um, uh, his remake of the lion King, <laughs> pretty dull and kind of like hard to get into that, you know, but the guy swings for the fucking fences, but somehow he's, totally at home here and he knows he has an over a vision not only like filmically but also thematically you know we're seeing all the different shades of gray in this universe we're seeing uh you know we were always we're behind the rebels and there's a great moment um when uh, they're trying to get the clone guy and the two uh, uh they're in the imperial shuttle slave ones chase down the imperial shuttle and the guy like calls him he's like you know all your bullshit died on alderaan you know, uh, I was glad to see that planet full of terrorists get blown up. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. that's the first time we've ever really heard the Rebel Alliance be called terrorists. It's not something that we've really seen before. But you know what I mean? Like, we grew up being like, the Death Star blew up. And then you're like, wait, millions of people died on that motherfucker. I mean, I think I'm talking back. I'm harkening back to Kevin Smith. Riffing I, was about like, to say, I didn't learn that till I watched Clerks, and then I was yeah, like, "Yeah, exactly." I never, I never thought about it till I saw Clerks, and I was like, "Oh shit, that is a lot of people that died." You know what I mean? Like, like the, the contract workers, contractors, the construction guys. Fuck, yeah. man, I was just here for a paycheck. I, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. Um, I've worked for companies that you later find out you're like, "Whoopsie, I probably, oh, I don't really yeah. those politics don't really align with my politics." Um, anyway, <laughs> so I just, I, I want to applaud Favreau, and and then also just like on a visual sense, like, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but at, at a certain point, he opens up the aspect ratio mm -hmm. on, in the Marshall when they're about to battle the crate Dragon and it goes from letterbox to like, it fills up the screen. And it is like, I was just watching it back and I was like, oh my God, like he just knows where to put the camera. He knows how to tell the story. Everything feels super grounded. And so, I don't know, man, like I, I want, I, I, I want John Favreau somehow godfathering i feel like we've had a lot of interesting people jj abrams knows how to deliver the spectacle and some interesting characters set the table like you said maddie for mm -hmm. sure um you know uh we could i'm sure we could duke it out with ryan johnson i actually liked what ryan kind of came in and tried to dismantle things i like oh, that he yeah, i like that he sort of tried to make luke a grumpy old man i was like it made sense for you know the beat before um mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, I, I like I liked the the idea of disrupting, you know. Mm-hmm. But then it made for a shitty se- it made for a shitty sequel trilogy because you had JJ coming in trying to put band aids all over the place and be like, oh, yeah, retcon, yeah. retcon, 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 you know. Right. I, I feel like with Favreau in the director's seat, we're we're in a very good place for storytelling, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I guess what I sort of wanted to throw out to you, sort of bouncing off this idea is. Where do you think Star Wars lives here? Because Disney's made an announcement that they have 10 new Star Wars shows coming out, like 10. And, you know, it's a mix. And there's things I'm excited about. Uh, The Obi-Wan series? Yes, please. Give me a good Ewan McGregor duking it out with Darth Vader six-episode miniseries. You're not on board for that, dude? I am, like, so – I am so on board for – because, like, we had had the Obi-Wan thing – uh, in Star Wars, his battle is like, have you guys, here's a quick sidebar. Have you guys ever seen the reimagined scene 83? My friend played Darth Vader in that. Oh, dude, I love that thing. I love that thing so much. The guy who, the guy who, played, the guy who played Darth Vader in this guy named Rich Citrone. And he's, uh, he was in 300. He's, in, uh, he's a stunt guy. And he, he's, uh, you'd know him because he's the guy who was the stunt double at the beginning of Watchmen, when he killed the comedian and threw yeah, the yeah. window, he's the guy who beat the shit out of the comedian. And I that's... actually don't know what you're talking about. If there's any opportunity to oh, learn the context of okay. what you're talking about, oh, we tend to put we tend to put links in the bottom. So okay. this will be one of those things that we'll put a link to because it's this Thank reimagined you. scene. Basically, when Obi Wan and Darth Vader fight, you got Alec Guinness, who was an old man, and a guy in a suit who didn't, you know, back in the 70s, they're kind of like ching, ching, ching. Oh, battle's over. So there's this reimagining where they got a stunt guy, they went in, they mapped bases on, and oh, it's wow. like it's a two, it's a 20, you know, 2020. I mean, I think they did it in 2016, 2017, but it's a complete reimagining of that battle using force powers and and like as a fanboy, you're sitting there going. Holy yeah. shit. And the menace you're right. the stunt guy brings to Darth Vader, like there's a level of menace in the strikes, in the power. It's just overwhelming. And you're just I don't know. It's it's on YouTube. Easily to easy to find. To anyone listening out there, like it's great. Get out there anyway. Anyway, I'm getting off I'm getting off topic. I I what I do want to say is like Lisa, Maddie, Sabrina, where do you think, you know, like I said, Lucasfilms announced that yes, they're working on movies. Taika Watiti is making a movie. I'm super on board for some, for that. Um, I even want to touch on Solo, too. I honestly, like, I wanted to throw out uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is a better director than her father, Ron Howard. Changed my mind. Because Solo, a Star Wars story. I wanted to see that uh, Chris Lord and Phil Miller. Phil I Miller, wanted to see that. I wanted to see that. I want to know what they sent. I want to know what they did. Yeah, I wanted to see what that movie looked like. I did not want Paint by Numbers wrote the Ron yeah. Howard. Like, I go back to Solo, too, man. I want to love it. I'm like... Yeah. And, and anyway, but anyway, so what I... The trick on that one is they actually, Howard ended up reshooting everything. Like 80% for, of it or something, right? Yeah, it's huge. Um, and, they, and they didn't even fire those two guys until they were, there was only two weeks left when, they, when <laughs> they, the two guys got fired. So oh, they had already shot like 70 days. I had a few friends on it. And I have a friend who works for Lucasfilm who was, he's, he works for Lucasfilm. Yeah, um, dude, I want to hear those me. stories. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, they're pretty good. Um, but he told me that they the only th- stuff they didn't reshoot was like remote location stuff where they, they just couldn't get go back there, like walking around on you know a, a glacier somewhere. You know that stuff is the only stuff that survived. So they they reshot the whole thing, and it's insane. It's insane how much they spent on that movie. Like they must have spent upwards of five hundred million dollars. Yeah, just 
because the movie by itself probably cost 150 and then to reshoot the whole thing and buy out the contracts of all those actors for another year and to, ma- to make it so bland and just to make it like like at least they had two visionary guys like i get it maybe it wasn't going to be super canon maybe it's going to be quirky and different but the universe is big enough mm-hmm. we can it doesn't have to be so sacred we can play man like i th- I, I don't know as a star wars fan i would have been willing to forgive it was a little more hijinksy and some mm. comedy and oh, fuck it. Why not, man? Let me see somebody else's vision. Don't, don't hew so closely. Anyway, the broad question I was sort of trying to get to Sabrina, Lisa, Maddie, you know, coming off the Mandalorian, what do you think the future is in cinema? Do you think the future is in TV? What are you most excited about? Are you still excited about the universe? Okay. Maddie, you want to jump in? I, I am excited for it. Um, I think there's, there's two things that I see. I think that, that streaming is a thing. It's where we live now. Um, we don't really have a whole heck of a lot of choice in what we're going to get. We're going to get streaming. Um, it comes down to what's going to be good, you know, and there will be bad ones. There will be bad ones and there will be good ones. Uh, it's just the world we live in. I think that one of the mistakes Disney has made since, since starting was ramping up the cinematic universe so hard that we were overloaded. I personally, I was overloaded and I got to the point where I couldn't give a shit and they were rushing them through the sausage machine pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Like it was, they weren't taking the time to write these things. They were just like going, where's the template, Ugh, right? Fill it in, you know? And that's what, and that's what I felt was going on. All of them were super rushed. I loved the idea of having to wait for several years between movies to find out what happened. I love that. I, I, I think that's a huge part of the experience of star Wars. That's very cool. You had it with, both the first two trilogies, but then when the sequel trilogy came out, you got slammed with like five movies inside of a couple of years. That's yeah. insane. Like it's too much and it's and it I would love to see them go back to saying, we'll give you the TV content. Like stuff like Rebels and Clone Wars was great. This'll be great. Like whatever they do next, I'm sure they'll have a couple cool little limited series. The Obi-Wan thing, which I have a great theory about, which I would love to share with you, which was I was wagging the saber about. Um uh Throw it out there. Throw it out there while you got it in your mind. Yeah. Okay. I think it's going to be Obi-Wan and Darth Maul. I don't think it's going to be Vader. I think I have a theory that in the writing I've been watching lately, Grogu did it. Ray did it. Everybody, or uh, Kylo Ren did it. Force healing is a thing. They made, they've been going out of their way to jam force healing down our throats, even if it never gets used again, like Grogu never used it again. Um, when he saved Carl Weathers' arm, that always, <laughs> when it, which always gets fucked up in movies. Have you noticed that Carl Weathers loses that arm? He loses it in Predator. He loses it. He loses it in Happy Gilmore, and he, and then he gets his arm all cut off in, in the Mandalorian. It's like finally, oh someone, my God. someone saved Carl Weathers' arm. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, so they made a, <laughs> so they made this big point of of force healing, right? So there's this moment at the end of the, the episode where, um, where Obi-Wan and Maul have their last fight, right? Like that last, in, if you haven't seen Rebels, it's, yeah, if you no, sorry, that's, yeah, it's in Rebels. If you haven't seen Rebels, at the end of it, the whole thing is, is basically Maul trying to hunt down Obi-Wan and, and fucking give him his, is basically the idea of what this is. So finally, at the end of Rebels, or uh, is it Rebels? It is Rebels, not Clone Wars, right? Yeah, it's Rebels. Yeah, I think it's Rebels, yeah. Um, he finally tracks down Obi-Wan on Tatooine, sees, or Obi-Wan kills him, and his last thing he realizes is he sees um, 
he sees Luke like as a child still, like running across the desert. And he's like, is that the chosen one? And Obi-Wan's like, yeah, it's the fucking chosen one, bro. And he's like, oh good, he's gonna avenge us. Meaning, the, the avenging meaning, he's gonna fuck up the emperor because both of us got done dirty pretty hard by the emperor. That guy's gonna avenge us, that guy's gonna be the guy. And that's always been Maul's deal. Maul, Maul's always been like a, a vengeance guy. Like he's, that's his number one thing. It's like, I'm gonna get Obi-Wan, I'm gonna get that guy, I'm gonna, anybody who's, who's fucked with him, he's gonna get him. So when Obi-Wan does him in, the last frame of it you see it's he's holding Maul in his arms, sitting on sitting in the desert with Maul in his arms, and he places his hand on him, and it's the exact same shot from when Kylo Ren brings back Rey, when he puts his hand he puts his hand on his chest. So even though we don't see it, I think when we get to an Obi Wan live action series, you're going to pick up there, and it's going to be mm. Obi Wan brings him back, right? Because there's some He's sensed something going on with Maul that he wants to preserve. The idea being is that he brings him back so that they can both protect Luke together. And they're both on Tatooine at the same time protecting, protecting Luke is the idea. You have a dark side guy and a light side guy both doing the same job. Cool. Then I think you're going to get a situation where there's a Sith guy. My theory is there's a guy who wants to unseat Vader as, as uh, the Emperor's number two. He gets in his head. I know Obi-Wan Kenobi's out there. I'm going to go fucking find him, drag his head back to Emperor. Here's, here's Obi-Wan's head. Can I be your Vader now? Goes on this mission, discovers that the Chosen One is alive and on Tatooine, and Obi-Wan and Maul are protecting them. But Obi-Wan's old now. Maul's pretty fucked up too. And it takes the both of them to do battle with this guy to protect and save Luke Skywalker. And I think that's neat because then you're, once you see where Luke goes and what happens, how fucked up is it to go like, oh my God, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul stayed on this fucking planet and fought off Sith to save this kid mm. makes you look at everything completely differently. So that's what I would do if I was writing it. Probably won't happen. It'll probably be. <laughs> no, that's canon now. That's, that's canon. canon. Canada. Are you are you excited? Are you will you keep watching? Will you watch ten plus shows, Maddie? Oh yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> there'll be some that you do, some that you don't. I like the idea of going. There, there will be there will be content for us. There, there's always there's gonna be no shortage of it. Um, but I, I like the idea. I'm more excited about the idea of the cinematic part of it being pared down. Like I would rather see a movie, like another trilogy, set whenever. That's one movie, we wait a couple of years, we get another movie, we wait a couple of years, and there's another movie that ties it all together. And, and they should take their time with it so they actually write something that's- uh, Cohesive? Yeah, that we want is that you can, you care. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's uh, the thing with, with the last trilogy is that I just didn't give a shit. I was like, oh, okay, I don't know who these guys are. I don't really give a fuck. And that's where they, they just kind of, they lost me in that. Um, so I would love to see them take the time and hire some really good writers and write something where we really care again. And that's, that's what we've missed. Like even in the prequel trilogy, I think one of the biggest problems with this is that, um, oh yeah, it's my fault that Hayden Christensen got cast. I do actually blame you for that. <laughs> it is my fault. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's well, like another podcast. But that's a whole other podcast. That's <laughs> I think what's the short the short version is that is that uh, George Lucas saw Hayden Christensen on your audition tape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I sent I sent an audition tape of the movie I was in, with a and there was a scene with Hayden Christensen in the fucking thing. And I sent it, and I, I literally sent it to Lucasfilm. Oh and my god! Then like a year later, like a year later, I turn on this new thing. It was called the internet, and I turn it on, and I <laughs> this article comes up. Aiden Christensen, I'm like, who? And my brother looks at me and goes, oh, fuck, dude, that's that guy on that tape that you sent in. And I'm like. <laughs> oh, so, dude, do you want us to put this podcast out or do you want us to bury it now? Cause yeah, you might want to bury that one. Be, <laughs> we can, Sabrina always says we can always edit stuff out if you want. So yeah, yeah you, you can take that. It feels Let free to know. That, part, that part's gold. That part stays. Lisa. Yeah. What do you think? Where do you think Star Wars is at? Are, would you keep watching? Are you excited about the future? Are you ambivalent about the future? Are you down for Rangers of the New Republic? Are you down for the Obi-Wan Kenobi show? Deborah Chow is putting uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show together. I'm, I'm stoked that Deborah is getting some more chances. I would have loved to have seen her come back in season two as a director. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of what she does. Uh, she's really good at fight scenes. and Yeah, she's great. Um, I think whatever's going out, as long as it's serving people in some form, I think it's great. Um, I'm, I, mean, I don't think anyone, you? I was going to say, I don't think anyone's going to be really surprised to hear me agree with Maddie in, in most of the, the areas here. I think for me personally, I've been oversaturated and I stopped caring. I want to get chills when I hear the music in a movie theater. I want, mm -hmm. I want to just not know what's going to happen and be invested and have my heart pound and get, get that excitement back. Um, I want to, I, I want that. And I, and I think what the, what the television series are doing are serving it. They're making it accessible. Absolutely. Like, you know, I stupidly called them Gamorrean guards at the beginning. I think it was, um, I can't remember what episode it was, but they're Gamorreans. They're only Gamorrean guards because they were guards when I knew them as a kid, but you know what I mean? That's, I like, that's what they called them as figures. I had, yeah, like, that's, that's what it would have been. And then I thought about it later and I was like, well, that was really classist. Um, but, uh, I, I like that it gives you the time to get to know these characters. And, and I think that there's a lot to be served there and, and a lot, but yeah, for me to get really excited, um, I want, I want to be, I want to wait. I want to, I want a story that I'm invested in. I want my hair to stand up again when I hear the music. I want, I want that. And I think I get it. It was merchandising. It was, you know, like pumping that shit out. Okay. So I, I kind of feel like I robbed myself by not getting the chewy we're home moment because how I chose to move into this new world once they announced that they weren't going to ally with the EU at all was I never watched a trailer. I never watched a trailer. I didn't have expectation. And so I told myself, just go in and experience Star Wars in the theater. Have that gift. If it's not the greatest experience you've ever had, that's fine, but you won't know what's going to happen. And, and, and that'll be something. And so that's what I gave myself. So I never really got the chills or the thing. I bawled when Princess Leia came on screen after we lost Carrie Fisher. And that was just like, that was for me. I was like, oh, fuck. But other than that, yeah, I went in a little raw and I, and then I went in not knowing anything. And so I don't think there'll be a lot in the TV shows that other than a filmmaker, um, I'll get like hopefully like inspired by what they're doing and uh, but for me I want I want to pause and I want them to come back hard educated invested in a story like I want Mara Jade man there's some cool shit out there like talking about women that really blow you away she was the emperor's hand um and I mean in the world I know of right ended up turning and marrying Luke Skywalker and, and obviously that doesn't align with what they've got here but there's some pretty badass really cool characters out there that I think that we could get invested in um, and, and want to see. So I'm here for that. I'm like Thrawn. Oh fuck. I'm so all over Thrawn. Like, every, yeah, I, 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 I was very much into all of that. Um, yeah. There's yeah, stuff that can serve everyone that we haven't learned enough of 
that they can serve the new universe they've created, the old universe that we read about. Thrawn's an absolute epic, intelligent. Like, wasn't he the first alien to make it to that level in as an imperial? Oh, yeah. Because they were a completely racist motherfucking. Yeah, the emperor was a racist. Yeah. Exactly, and then all of a sudden there was Thrawn, who was so intelligent and such a brilliant person that he ended up rising in the ranks and taking that power. And yeah, I mean that that doesn't have to shit on everything they've created new. Um, yeah, there's opportunity, but let's do it right. Let's do it and serve it. And, and, and like, fucking hire the Maddie Grangers and the Fabrios. And the reason the Mandalorian... I'm available. And, pardon? I'm available at the moment. There you go. <laughs> um, but I think that's why Filoni and, and John work so well together, is because they're kids in a candy store honoring the truth and, and the, hair, like the, the history that we loved and, and getting the Maddie Grangers that, have fucking, that aren't just taking a paycheck um, because they're Ron Howard. They're like serving something that, that really, really, really holds us up. Um, also too, I just want to say uh, for Bryce Howard, at first I was like, oh, I guess that's how you direct a TV show for Star Wars. You have Ron Howard as a dad. And then I did a lot more research into it and I was like, well done, girl. Well she, done. Fucking, she fucking slays it, man. She, like deserved, I, she deserved those, she deserved, she deserved to be there. She held her own. She was educated. She's a very good actor. She works really, a part of me, director, actor as well, but she's, a, she's an actor's director and she served it really well. So um, I, I, I hate when, especially as a woman in, in the genres that I direct in, how hard it is sometimes I feel to get an opportunity. So when I was like, oh, that's, that's how I do it. I just have to have a famous dad. Uh, but I liked that she, she, she filled those boots honorably and she fucking, she did a great job. I also so, saw a weapon coming up. So super yeah, cool. a weapon coming up. I got my battle-ready katana right here. So, so um, uh, we, could, we could maybe peg you as cautiously optimistic. Would you be watching? Would you watch? Would you find... Because you were very adamant about The Mandalorian. Would you say that you will be open to watching shows in the future? Will you be... In the world that I live in, in the fact that I just don't really seek these things out anymore, I don't know what shows are coming up. I know Boba Fett's show is coming out. Um... I just learned Obi-Wan has a show. So if, there is, if there's a part of the lore that I'm in love with and part of it that I'm like excited to see expanded, I think Maddie just sold me if it's fucking Darth Maul. Because I never went into anything other than the movies um, and I never did the books pre-Star Wars, I don't have anything more of Darth Maul. So I had a badass character introduced to me and killed in one movie and I was like, what the fuck just happened there? Could have done with more of that. Uh, cool, let's give, you know, I'm not going to shit on anyone, but you know, other people have more screen time that I didn't need to see. So um, I'm empathetic with sprinkles of hope. The Sabrina, rebellion what, is built on hope, guys. Sabrina, what about you? Because I, I, I don't feel like I've gotten a sense. Where are you at on this? Like, I know, like I said, you're a diehard Star Wars fan. Do you feel fulfilled by The Mandalorian? And do you think that, like, where, where, where's your head at? with all the, with 10 new shows and things coming. I think the Mandalorian uh, showed what is possible for a live action uh, episodic version of Star Wars. Um, I don't think it was perfect by any means. Um, it doesn't necessarily give me those deep, I mean, we were talking about Phantom Menace before, and I saw the midnight screening uh, out in uh, Ontario. And um, I remember, you know, first you, you, the music comes on and you're feeling it in your body. And then it's like, uh, like you wait until the trailer or until the credits are done. And then you just hear Darth Vader's breathing. And I, I saw it four times. And it, like, I, I just, I could not, 
I, that is such a specific feeling. It's like chasing magic. And I, I, I chase that magic. Um, I didn't feel magical about the Mandalorian, but I feel excited. I feel excited, especially because not going to movie theaters right now. We're in a global pandemic, you know? So this is the way that I'm taking in my content. Um, what I, why I had raised my weapon beforehand, however, uh, is because of, uh, the ways in which the real world and the, the world of Star Wars, uh, kind of, I'm going to say combine, but combine, but in a bad way, uh, which is, which is kind of my way of leading into talking about Gina Carano. Um, because, you know, I had actually saved the last few episodes of season two to watch, uh, for this week. Um, and you know, in the meantime, we're really learning what a trash human being, uh, and, um, anything I'm saying does not reflect this podcast. <laughs> But it actually totally fucking does. She has trash ideas. She she is against trans people having you know equal rights. She says that people who hold Republican viewpoints are just like you know the Jews you know that are being being chased by Nazis in the streets. Like it's really so. It's you know she's a trash person, and that but you know playing a very different kind of character on screen. So watching watching did christian just leave he just did he was like he couldn't even with gina carano so he's just yeah, he's, he's just left um so you know i'm i'm curious about uh if mandalorian comes back what's going to happen with her character um i will also like so that that definitely took me out of it a lot watching and then also the fact that her wasn't that great an actress anyways you know that was the, that was the best fight in the mandalorian was her versus acting yeah. <laughs> okay, that was a dad joke for the win. I didn't mean to. That was perfect. It was perfect. Enjoy that as much as I did, but I did. It was. It was yeah. really great. I mean, she yeah. should never have been cast in the first place. Is well, really because of, because of of how shitty an actor that she agreed. is. Agreed. I mean, physically, she's fantastic. You know, I I love the fact that she was hauling bodies around and representing. I love her body size. As a woman who wants to see real humans represented on screen, I I I, I was very disheartened as a, as a as a person, you know, me and Sabrina are very similar in the fact that we use our voices, we've got our things that we fight for and you know, I I I do fight a lot for women and female representation and and I liked I liked all those things and then and then she tried acting. <laughs> and I was like I, I even forgave the first time. I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Maybe she's making some monotone choices and um, she's a really apathetic character. Uh, and I was like, real, I was trying, you know? Um, but uh, I, I think that she, her character wasn't important enough. I think it was important mm. in that I want to see exactly what I just said. Strong women, uh, different body types, uh, representation, you know, and we've got all that. They're, they're fucking clearly checking off their boxes when they make this film. You know, they, they're, they're, they're catching the tone of the world right now. Her character was not important enough. Her acting was fucking horrific. There is no reason for her to come back. There's no reason to fix her. You could change, you know, replace her with Lucy Lawless. Great. I love that. Um, or just, she doesn't come back. You know, I saw one great fan input that was like, the next episode, uh, she gets in her fucking starship, it blows up, boom. You know, we 
have those moments in and and that's one of the reasons I liked Rogue One. I didn't love it, but it was a it was a real reluctant hero story to me. The reason mm -hmm. that we should love the reluctant hero is sometimes that they get thrust into moments where they they sacrifice and they die and that's that's what makes them more admirable than constantly always getting away with things. And so I just think she can die. I think yeah. she can die or be fucking replaced and no one's going to bat an eye. Well, you don't, I, I think the way that the show is left off, you don't ever have to bring her back. I don't, I, I agree. Yeah. I, she's so non-existent or unimportant to all of the things that she just never has to come back. It's a, it's a big enough universe. Her story dovetailed. She helped out on this thing. She's off being a marshal somewhere else. I don't think, you know what I mean? Like, it's not something that you absolutely have to address. I think, you know, I think they're, just, they're just fine being done. Could, could, could I pull a Maddie and just like put out my theory into the universe that just inspired one line, Carl Weathers, turns out she was a racist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's tough, man. Like it's- Oh, it's that tough. would be beautiful. Right. I just kind of, I just yeah. saw him doing it and I was like, I have a solution. It's one line. <laughs> Weathers. Turns out she was a <laughs> And we move on and he's like, okay, she doesn't work here anymore. I mean, what are, what are you guys sort of thoughts? I mean, this might be getting off Star Wars topic too, but like, um, I saw it framed another way, but I mean, like, where do you guys feel about, how do you feel about cancel culture? Cause it's, cause what she said is dumb and uninformed. Um, and believe me, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate because like, like I agree what she said was dipshitty and like dumb, uninformed, ignorant, stupid. <laughs> hey, I know I see, everybody, everybody's got to, I know I'm just, but like I said, like I, like I said, like I don't uh, advocate or agree with absolutely anything she said, but I also like feel like we're at a weird point in terms of culture where, you know, like what's sort of happening now with, for instance, Gina Carano. Um, now she's like, you know, unapologetic now bombing over to Ben Shapiro, getting ready to make a movie with Ben Shapiro, you know, which I have serious doubts will ever happen. Never but, oh, I hope it happens and I will watch oh it. <laughs> but what, I, but what I found, you know, like one of the things that sort of happened before, so she came out and she did a real dipshit thing with the, the trans movement. Right. Um, I, I don't know how, how familiar you guys are. I'll give you sort of broad strokes. So, uh, you know, everyone's sort of putting the pronouns now. Uh, in a show of solidarity and respect and saying, you know, him, her, I re or I represent as he, him, these are my pronouns, them, they. Um, um, but uh, the, what, what, you know, so she went in and went beep, boop, beep. Or, beep I made boop, the only meme I've ever made when she got fired and it was her face and it said beep, boop, my. <laughs> yeah, I saw that actually, I laughed. Um, but, but, you know, but what happened was she made that tweet. And then again, I don't know how much of a publicity organization it was, but Pedro, who has a trans sister, pulled her aside and said, hey, look, like, apparently, like, again, this is what we read in the media, but said, hey, look, the way you're acting is irresponsible. And it's uh, someone, you know, and he came out with a personal story, made it clear to her. And she came out and said, I'm sorry, I apologize. I was off base and that was wrong. And she deleted it, right? And I just sort of feel like, you know, people need to face consequences for the dumb shit they do. That people are like, oh my, like, you know, I, I see Republicans up in arms about, you know, being like, we're being silenced. And I'm like, if you can say it out loud, you're not being silenced. If you're on a TV show being like, I'm being silenced, you're not really being silenced. But it's also a corporation's right to be like, hey, these things don't align. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, just, I feel like it's a dangerous place where we are because instead of, you know, Gina Carano had an opportunity to learn maybe from her mistakes and it seemed like maybe she did. And then when we all race to say, you're a trash bag person or you're a piece of shit, 
you know, we, we, we bring out that person to subhuman and then that person will further entrench themselves into a, you know, much like maybe the empire might uh, further entrench themselves into a doctrine, you know, where they're like, you know, like they're not going to learn anything now because they're so like entrenched. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not sure what point I'm trying to necessarily. Do you mind make. if I jump in really quick? Cause I have to yeah. run. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to step on you guys, but I really do have to run. And I think this is a really important thing. And I will try and be like really quick on this. I think there is a very big difference between cancel culture and accountability. Uh, and I think that's the first thing that needs to be uh, talked about. Number two, I think there's a very d big difference. And I mean, I'm a comedian. I trained and taught improv for years. I own an improv school. I have done a lot of things that, and comedy is a very fine line. And so I can absolutely look back at jokes that I have made and gone, fuck, I learned from that. That was inappropriate. It's really unfortunate that at the time that was, that was acceptable um, and or that I made those choices. So I would love to not be judged on who I am then versus who I am today. I think accountability is also about who I am today. She is that person today. She repeated that behavior today. She likened having a, a political view to the Holocaust and to, to being Jewish. And she made a lot of incredible, uh, incredibly insensitive statements, did not. I mean, it's one thing for me to say, you know, X, Y, and Z about trans people. Oh, I've learned uh, you, you didn't, if you didn't change your behavior. Words are, are, are plastic band-aids right now. Um, and I also think that there's also another sense of responsibility. We are living in a world of Disney. You are working for Disney. You know the moral code of Disney. If you want to have uh, drinks with your fucking Nazi racist friends and say those racist things to get your fucking racist on, cool. That is free speech, right? That's your moment. If you want to keep your job working for Disney and you've already been given a pass a lot of people didn't get. People have been fired for less. And you want to be a person that is now so, to me, it was like this Trump righteousness of like, I got away with it once. Look at the other things I want to say. Complete unaccountability for the franchise you represent, for the women you represent, all of those things. I, I thought it was a fuck you and a slap in the face to the forgiveness she was given. Um, and that's it. I think that's a really powerful statement is, you know, cancer culture, all these people saying we're out there, you know, renegating to destroy people's lives. No, 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 no. We're just asking for accountability. Um, and, and that's where I felt that she never raised. I don't think when she was educated by Pedro that she learned that lesson. I think she learned what to say. Um, so, uh, oh, okay. I'm going to stop because I'm going to try and stay until I have to leave. I have to leave in six minutes and I would love to hear, um, your guys' opinions. That was my, I could talk about that for like 14 more hours. Oh, no. And thank you. Thank you for sharing. Cause like I said, I think that's, I think it's, that's beautifully put Lisa. So thank you for placing it that way. I appreciate it. I've, I've been a personal situation with this one. Uh, I, I kind of learned a little bit about her. Um, I have a lot of mutual friends with her. And she followed me on Twitter right before the big bop boop thing happened. This is also around the same time that the Republican National Convention happened. During that time, I had a crush on her. I'll admit, I thought she was a babe. And I was like so happy when she followed me. I was like, Ooh, I'm going to go on a date with her someday. And I, uh, so she followed me and then the Republican National Convention came on and I had made a statement that there was a moment in the RNC where they were uh, advocating a police state, basically. I made a tweet about it and I was unfollowed by her instantly. She then followed me, she then followed me back, like maybe two weeks later, followed me back. 
and I said something about how great I thought Kamala Harris was. Instantly, she unfollowed me again. So I've been unfollowed by Gina Carano twice. <laughs> and topical, on, for, on topic. So I, I, I get it. I know where she stands. I understand politics. I understand why certain people have different kind of values. But where the real crimes and what she was doing was, was when the internet sleuths went at it and they looked at her likes and they looked at things she'd been commenting on and they looked at all that. And in there you were finding where the real dirt on Gina Carano was. It wasn't necessarily those tweets. It wasn't necessarily the posts. It was the follow-up. It was the responses to the people who were on her side over those posts. And it was the, yeah, I'm going to double down on all this shit in my likes. I'll double down on my replies. And that's where she was doing it. And that's what the internet sleuths found. And that's the stuff that I started seeing. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm glad this chick unfollowed me, man. This is bad news. And then, then she just kept doing it. And like Lisa was saying, it's like, you got the pass once, man. You work for the mouse. You don't, like, stop. You, you work for the mouse here. You don't, you're not going to get chance two, chance three. But she kept getting the chances. And now she's got no agent. She's got no job. And she's going to be essentially unhirable. To say she's going to make a movie with Ben Shapiro, that's hilarious. Because Ben Shapiro's already a, fa a failed screenwriter when he's got his parents who are already in the business. The guy can't even get nepotism to work for him. So good fucking luck getting a movie with Gina Carano who has the range of a fucking air rifle. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I want to yeah. give Maddie the last word on that. Like, let's just yeah. stop talking about it now because that was that you know, was so, a thing of beauty. If you want to know where I land, I land right smack dab and fucker. <laughs> okay, so now we have reached the part of the episode where where we let listeners know where we fall on this. So, so Lisa, Maddie, Christian, is this? Is The Mandalorian a project that you would recommend to others? Yes, no, why? Who wants to go first? Um, yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> I would, and I would, prob and everyone I've encouraged to watch it. I don't know if I've encouraged people to watch it, but anyone that I've said, yeah, watch it, if you're a fan, I've also said, watch the gallery. Watch the, uh, yeah. the episodes on the making of. That mm -hmm. was the heart of it for me. That mm -hmm. is where I fell in love with it, and, and quite frankly, yeah, it's, it's some of the better Star Wars that's been put out there. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to go with yes, too. I think it's a great start to a new uh, chapter in what they're doing. Um, I think they've, they've managed to resurrect it from the ashes of the, the last trilogy. I think they've done a really effective job of it, and I think it bodes well for the future, and especially the way it's been received, and they know how well it's been received. So I think that that's a positive sign, and they're going to keep wanting to create content that we like and we can and we will enjoy. And uh, I think they're going to take the time now. I think they saw the, 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 uh, the backlash, and I think they felt the backlash pretty hard. And so now we're in a situation where they're getting praise finally, so they're going to, they're going to have that breakdown. What did we do right? And we're going to get more, and we're going to get more good. So I'm, I'm positive for it. My answer is yes. Cool, cool, cool. Sabrina, where, where do you lie on this? My answer is yes as well. Um, I, I liked also how it was released uh, week by week instead of in um, just one big dump. It's the same way. Yeah the same thing that they're doing with WandaVision. So it's, it's like having appointment television for something I care about. Um, so yeah, I, there's nothing like that's bad about it. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. 
Um, I want, I mean, I want more. I don't want stuff that's just fan service. I want like things to actually make sense in the show. Like what we were talking about with being Luke Skywalker. Shouldn't have been Luke Skywalker that was there at the end. Um, and I just, I want to make sure that a little baby Grogu is okay and grows up and is, you know, super powerful and can live to 900 years old on some, some planet. Dagobah system. All right. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a yes, yes, watch it. It's, it's fine. Awesome. Christian, what about you? I think, I think I'm definitely like the most unapologetic fan of this. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan. I just think, you know, like for instance, like, like I said, I got a five-year-old now. Um, and you know, George Lucas always argued, well, this stuff's for kids. These are kids movies. You know, that was sort of why, you know, when everybody kind of got a little butthurt about the prequels, it was like, well, but it's for kids guys. Um, and let me just, I just want to share a quick story here about Star Wars. Um, you know, I, uh, I do feel like Star Wars should be. Actually, Christian, yeah. um, let's, let's save that story. Lisa needs to say goodbye because she has to yeah. go to something else. So maybe we could do the wrap up. Yeah, you know, for being sure. like, or well, yeah. I can, yeah, or I can just throw a big thanks to, if we can clip this out and I can just sort of give my rating and then maybe we can sort of like give a big thanks to Lisa, big thanks to Maddie and. Yeah, and then you can even you can even continue talking and I can record that what you wanted to say and then I'll edit it back in. You can fix anything in post. <laughs> but cool. I also I don't want to lose the opportunity for Lisa to say where to where to be followed on social media. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Do you wanna, yeah, we can clip that in. Hey Lisa, you there for two secs? She may have, she may need to just jet right out. She jetted. Now we're just gonna spy on her room. Yeah, let's just. It's let's so go. cool. Can we zoom in. I'm gonna see what she's got there. Is that a, is that an Anakin head back there? I don't know what that is. Like uh, like you know like uh, with the mask off. I so, see. Or maybe a zombie. I don't know. It looks like a baby. <laughs> it's a baby. <laughs> a baby's head. I saw I saw I saw the best action figure. I follow like a lot of, on Instagram. I follow like customize like action figure customizers. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. really cool shit that these guys make. And, um, and they do awesome photography of it. Somebody made a dark ray figure, like it's the like evil ray. And yeah, it's like yeah. all hooded up and like just, just mean looking and just scary. And she's got a scepter with Grogu's fucking <laughs> Yeah, I was like, dark. I want that. Hi, yeah, okay. I just missed something epic. I came back and everyone's jaws were open well, and shocked. And one of my, my favorite, my favorite, we're talking about fan favorite figures. One of my fan favorite figures is somebody made Hallway Guy. And it's like a, yes. it's just a piece yes. of the wall with yes. the one leg and one jean and one t-shirt. Yeah. His name was um, Admiral Jeff Blue Jeans. I saw that. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Lisa, so we want to, we do, we may have to do a little uh, editing around this, but we did want to sort of uh, give you an opportunity to throw out, say where we find you at. Uh, that guy's awesome. I follow Fado. Yeah. yeah. That guy's great. We want to maybe just give you an opportunity to be like, where can we find you? What do you got coming out? Like all that kind of stuff as well. Do you need to peace out right now? I did what I had to do. I just had something very important that had to happen at that moment. And I did it. Oh, you're, I, got my, you cool? I got my mask. I got the thing that I needed to get. Awesome. Are you, yeah. Are yeah. you cool? Okay. Yeah. So basically what we're going to do is I'm just going to, I'll throw my, we're just going to clip around all this shit. Um, and, uh, or else Sabrina won't and make me just sound like a doofus, you know, I'm here. As, Live as for we, it as we do. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I'll throw sort of my closing thoughts and then we'll kind of cut to you guys and say, what do you guys got going on? What do you want to hype? Uh, talk about what uh, maybe, you know, what's coming up on what's on deck for you guys. 
um yeah if there's like a like i said like um maddie if you've got a project uh recently out or something you just love for people to check out like hype it here kind of thing and yeah and they say hype hype puppet killer and maybe throw a little on uh, about rogue and all that fun stuff too okay cool cool that's not good to you guys that works for me sabrina anything else we want to touch on no there? i'm gonna mute i have to go for a second but keep keep going keep going keep keep going about what uh, i think talking about <laughs> us <laughs> Uh, well, I do, I do want to say thanks so much, guys, for uh, for jumping in. This is like I know we we ran like uh, like almost uh, two plus hours, but I, I kind of had the feeling that I don't know. I just felt like we'd all have a lot to say about it. We could go we could go on for longer. About oh, stories. we I could know. go on all fucking day. Hundred percent. And honestly, I, I was going to say the fact that I had to carve out a few hours today from work to know that we were going to talk about Star Wars. I was like, yes, like, yeah. Yeah. thank you. And we get to like, yeah, that's the thing is too. Like I, you know, when I was sort of talking about that uh, disagree without being disagreeable, like I feel like the long, you know, one of the things that I get excited about a podcast is the long form conversation, right? Like whenever people do media interviews, it's these five minute sound bites. Well, this thing is bad, man. You know what I mean? Like there's more nuance, there's more detail to life. Yeah. And like, I feel like these are opportunities to like dissect and have a fun, interesting conversation and disagree without being disagreeable. We can all still love yeah. Star Wars, for instance, but we can disagree about what works and what doesn't for us. And I think mm. that, I don't know, that makes for a lively conversation versus, uh, oh, yeah, well, like, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. much gets lost on the Twitter. Oh, yeah, you think fucking this? Well, fuck you, asshole. You're a oh, dipshit yeah. for thinking that. Yeah. And then there's just, we, we get into this toxic fucking bullshit where, I don't know, man, I just, I'm sick of it. I like, I think this is the way forward. I think nuance is the way forward. I think having this conversation. Is the way. You know, no, it's true. This is the one. And also, there's, there's, there's the whole like my, my thing is, is like, I, I've stopped shitting on things online. Like I've stopped because I'm like, let people just enjoy what they like. Like, who cares? It doesn't, it doesn't change your life. You know what I mean? My life is exactly the same if you like Prometheus by Ridley Scott, and I think it's a steaming log of shit. It's not going to change our life. So yeah. I'm, I, I've gone over that before and you know what and the other thing i wanted to say is that i really hope this gina carano thing doesn't divide star wars fandom oh, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> i don't see it i don't see how it like i said i think i feel like she served her purpose you yeah. know i mean i see again people get oh, fuck the internet is the best and the worst thing ever man like <laughs> agreed like all good things man like the amount of like dipshittery and misinformation and fucking mm -hmm. like i don't know man like, her views though don't represent star wars that's no. the other thing like right. how can you be like some super super hate-filled fascist douchebag you know and and be a star wars fan or be part of star wars like it's out of it's out I, of step i have to agree and when i watched some of the bts and i i'm gonna get the seasons confused but it was after i knew this right so it's probably season two and she was just like going off about how amazing Carl Weathers was. And it was just a joy. And they're like cut from the same cloth. And I was like, oh, I don't think he wears your cloth. Like Her cloth is a white hood. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I'm like, no, I, wow. I, it just, all of it, once that information came out for me, I couldn't support i couldn't really get in there it took me out a little bit and yeah like the whole beautiful include i mean i know there's a lot going on in star wars but 
the message is there, right? Right. Um, about the fact that the, the voices of the few have to defeat. And the reason that the, the evil usually wins is they make this, the, the voices of a few feel that they can't be successful. And there's some beautiful messages to Star Wars that she just does not align with at all. Yeah. But, but again, I think the reason why I brought up the cancel culture thing is too, because it's the same thing. Like, like I say, Lisa, you dropped some, some podcast. You, you dropped some, you dropped some tweet in like 2008. That was like funny then edgelord James Gunn style. You know what I mean? And now someone goes, Oh yeah, but you were a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Then you're a piece of shit now. And like, I agree. I think you, you were, you, uh, elucidated incredibly clearly that like these are still her views now and so of course we got to be done but it's hard man like like i said like if people had video footage of me or fucking from the 90s when i was a fucking drunk i you know what i mean like be very i'm i'm sober 13 years and people could bring that back and be like yeah but you're still a fucking piece of shit right and it's like but we've all had a chance to grow and i just sort of feel like this this back this quick whip fucking you know like Oh yeah, well you're fucking canceled. I just sometimes feel like it drives people further entrenching into their bullshit views versus being like, I don't know. It's it's you're tough. Absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right. Like she's that's exactly what she's doing right now. Yeah. Like she's she's d- doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on on all this stuff now. Yeah. She's, and she's gone deep in it. And but the thing is, again, I think I think that just society in general right now is. It's kind of a mess. Like I don't think anybody really knows what the fuck's going on, and I it's 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 a it's a really difficult time because you know society's just divided in so many ways. You know, and it's it's sometimes it's politics, sometimes it's opinion. Um, I think big problem the last few years is people have been um, told that their feelings are incorrect, and feelings can't be incorrect because they're yours. And I think that that's why people are so um, susceptible to division, you know, that's, but, that's, also, but also, but we've also hit this weird point where people are like, well, my facts are different than your facts. Right. right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's not just another podcast. That's a different, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. No, that's like a timeline. I don't want to live yeah, on right. it. I know it is real and we're dealing with it, but yeah. that. that's what I mean. The, 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 the acceptance of fantasy land and QAnon and people like, you know, the, the true heartbreak of people being like, but what, but the storm and Trump was supposed to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, Sabrina's giving me that. Okay, shut the fuck up. Well, that just could go on. I said, okay, let's just wrap this yeah. up because, you know. Well, I feel like this, <laughs> we're, 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 this, this chunk we're probably not including, I would say, anyway. We're sort of the, the one thing I did want to add, if you do include this or you don't, would just be um, the gratitude of you speaking of that quote that you brought in at the beginning and the harm of gatekeeping and mm-hmm. how many beautiful, wonderful humans that have a passion have in the past been denied the opportunity to pursue it or to learn more because there's these self-righteous gatekeepers that say, if you don't know everything about Star Wars or you don't know everything about this video game or whatever it is, then you're not worthy of joining a passionate conversation. And I think opening up the world to like Maddie said, you know, it's all about growth for us too. I'm sure at one point I was like, Oh, you like fucking Jar Jar, get the fuck out of my car, you know? And like, I'm not slowing down. Whereas now I'm a more educated person and I would at least unroll the window and I would be like, you can get out on your own time. No, but, but that ability to say, you know, you want to fucking get into that. Great. That's your jam. This is my jam. And we don't have to have the same level of passion, but we, we can have a passion. And, and as a person who I remember very well in high school parties, guys dorking out about star Wars and wanting to join the conversation and instantly being quizzed, you know, it would be like, Oh, well, 
I don't know what question they would ask me, a fairly basic question about Star Wars. And it would be like, I had to prove myself and I would, I would, yeah. and then I would defend myself and I would think, and, and it made me very, you know, hesitant to have these passionate conversations um, up until, you know, I grew up and didn't give a fuck anymore. But um, I think it's, I think it's really important to be the role models at our age to say, yeah, we're all passionate and we don't necessarily agree, but anyone's enjoy invited to the party as long as they're not being fucking Gina. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's, that's, that was important. I'm rambling a little bit, um, but I just wanted to thank you for that. I think it's, a, it's an important space for us to start using our voices for um, uh, moving forward in any fandom. Yeah, exactly. No, I totally, I remember the, the preschool. Oh yeah, well, what about this? Did you know about yeah. this? That's bullshit, man. Hey, do you enjoy it? Great. Did you watch the Clone yeah. Wars? No, hey, I might say to you, you should check them out. There's actually some really great shit in there. But if you don't, who gives a fuck, man? Like, let's let's enjoy the stories that we want to. Because, I mean, I do think in a larger scale, Star Wars resonates for so many people because, you know, it does sort of tell uh, an ongoing story that, that, that incorporates myth, but is also recognizable. Um, you know, if I'm going to jump on and say sort of my recommendation, I wholeheartedly, with a big old yes, recommend uh, The Mandalorian. And I, again, I was going to go on a little sidebar here, but the story I sort of want to tell is I uh, started putting on some of the old Star Wars because Marcy, my wife, who is not a Star Wars or sci-fi fan whatsoever, started watching The Mandalorian with me and was like, oh shit, this is really fucking good. I really dig this shit. Grogu, the, the baby Yoda, got her on board. Um, you know, cute. She's like, oh, that thing's fucking adorable. Okay, great. I'll watch, you know. And, and so it brought on a new fan. She was like, Star Wars, what is that horse shit I've watched? I, I think I forced her to watch Star Wars and Empire. And halfway through, she's got her phone up and is fucking scrolling through. You know, but, but the Mando was appointment viewing for her. She got excited. And so I was like, okay, let's give you a little backstory. There's new shows coming out. Let me show you. And so I put on The Phantom Menace. And uh, we got to Jar Jar. And we got about five minutes into Jar Jar. And she's like, okay, is he in the whole movie? <laughs> he's in the whole movie. I can't do this. I'm out. I'm done. I was going to say, this is a divorce. <laughs> so I, what i where i think the mandalorian is successful where everything else for me has been a failure on certain levels from you know from uh turn of the jedi on this show i think really captures a humanity and the sort of star wars fabric that the deepest cut fans can get on board with while bringing on new people who get excited about it and, and, and enjoy the storytelling and get on board and don't necessarily, that's the other thing. Again, my wife doesn't know anything about Boba Fett. She doesn't give a shit about, um, you know, uh, Bo-Katan and Mandalore, but yet she's on board. John Favreau is being a master storyteller here in, in weaving in elements of stories that we remember are core fabric, but at the same time, someone like my wife who doesn't give two shits really is like excited every week. She's like, oh, new episode of Mandalorian. And that, you know, I just think that speaks volumes. I think that right now the Mandalorian is in, and, and by extension, the Star Wars universe in a whole is in a much healthier place than it's been at, at any time in the last 21 years. And I'm really excited about seeing where this goes forward. All right, that, that's my two bits. Okay. Those were wonderful bits. Well, wow. <laughs> um, have we done the thank yous? Have we, we have done the thank yous? We have not done the thank yous. Let's uh, let's give a big shout out to our guests. Sabrina, you want to? Yeah, I'll do that. Well, thank you. Thank you to Lisa Oviez and Maddie Granger. Where can our listeners find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social media, not in real life? 
<laughs> Maddie, right. you're so much better at social media. You go first. Okay, I'm, I, you can find my social media in, on Twitter at Reverend Maddie. You can also find me on the Instagrams where you'll see pictures of my t-shirts and plants around the house on Instagram at also Reverend Maddie. If you would like to read about my storied career, you can go to www.thegrangerbros.com and learn all sorts of fascinating facts that may or may not be true. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I don't really know. I think I'm on Instagram under my name, Lisa OVA's. Twitter, I think, is OVA's Lisa. Um, I also have a film coming out in the summer. 2021 called Puppet Killer uh, that I directed and created and that I believe is Puppet Killer on Instagram and all of the things and that's probably an easier place to follow me since I'm not unbelievably successful at it. Well and we also got to give Lisa a big shout out here because I know she's going to be uh, too uh, modest but this thing has won all sorts of awards and acclaim all around the world. It's played in like so many festivals even during a pandemic this movie is making waves uh, it's incredible. It's got an incredible cast. Uh, it's blowing people away. People have, who are in the genre adore this film. So I Thank say you. as soon as you can check this film out, if you're a horror movie genre lover in any form, if you're a movie lover, make sure you yeah. catch Up a Killer. If you're a lover of the stars of BC film as well, you want to see uh, Alex Ponovic. Richard Harmon, <laughs> Lee Majdoub. I do want to also say how awkward it is that this film has done so incredibly well and I'm incredibly grateful is that I tried to get Maddie Granger in it. And I was going to say that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, was, I, I couldn't do it. I was, I was working on another show and I couldn't do yeah. it. And it was like, it's fine. It's a small little film. Like, you know, it's not a big deal. We'll get you in the next one. And now it's been five years of Maddie being like, fuck off. <laughs> Actually not. I guess it's only been out for a year. But That um, explains the awkwardness I was totally feeling yeah, today and not just making up right now. Yeah, yeah, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of tension. Um, so but thank tension. you. Thank you. I'm very excited. We were supposed to obviously have a theatrical release uh, October 2020, but then uh, the world shut down and that's okay. So Hopefully that thing comes out soon and we'll get Maddie uh, in, in Puppet Killer too. <laughs> um, I should also, if we are, you did tell us to promote our shit and now I just sound like an asshole. Oh yeah, I gotta promote oh, my shit too then. Yeah, um, but I was like, fine, Maddie, don't, I'll do it. I also just directed a segment of a horror anthology uh, in quarantine, in isolation. Um, I, at one point, was remote directing 17 devices with a crew and a cast from LA, Toronto, and Vancouver. And it was like the hardest thing I've ever done. So I would really like to promote that. It's going to be a standalone film called Witch's Midnight and then in a, an anthology that's coming out. And then um, Christian uh, teaches for me. I own an amazing acting school that I'm incredibly proud of. And Christian uh, has, is one of our instructors and I fucking love him and it. Um, Maddie, what are you up to, yo? Well, I've got a few things on the go. Um, I've, uh, I'm involved with a, an anthology, a sci-fi anthology with Sabrina's husband is actually a writer on it nice. um, called Valara. Should be, it's already shooting. It's coming out soon. Uh, my brother and I wrote two segments for it and uh, we'll be directing one of the segments. Um, so that's in the works as we speak. Uh, I currently have a film in development um, that's being packaged by CAA that's uh, being produced by Brad Payton, who produces and directs The Rocks movies like San Andreas, Rampage, uh, those things. So um, being directed by a director named Jeff Renfro, who directed The Colony. He uh, directs, directs just tons of, t tons of episodes of television, so he's been attached to my director for a couple of years. 
Um, we are out to cast, and the plan is to shoot within the next several months, maybe by fall is the plan. We were supposed to shoot in 2020, but, you know, we all know about it. That's, that's Matt's 2021 shaping up so far. I love it. I love it. Also, I'm also unemployed. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, and we will have links to all your social media stuff uh, in the episode notes for this episode. I think yeah. that's it. We're yeah. good. Thanks, guys. I got to tell you, this was a joyous way to put yeah, this was great. hours of my life. Um, yeah, I just had a blast. I had a blast. Me too. Thank Me you. too. Yeah, I want to give a big thanks to Lisa, to Maddie, uh, for bringing their passion and bringing their uh, education to us. Uh, and it was a pleasure chatting with you. Anytime. Anytime. And Christian, thanks, man. I, I don't know if I would have watched it. So <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad I, 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 I forced you forced you yeah. to, to watch it i also want to show uh, throw out a big uh, thanks to our editor simon Furmager, uh to dane devillier for our original music and to you our listeners for listening uh, you can find us on twitter at screen scene sock uh, you can find us on instagram at screen scene society and online at screen scene society.com the screen scene society podcast is a production of fish flight entertainment's yvr screen scene and with that this meeting of the Screen Scene Society is officially adjourned. Screen Scene Society!